Hey guys, Joe Bonamassa here. Welcome to Live from Nerdville. Today, my special guest is the one, the only, Mr. Dweezil Zappa. We talk everything from Laurel Canyon to his father's music, obviously Frank Zappa, and beyond. So check it out, my hour-long conversation with the great Dweezil Zappa. I was just, I literally was just um, reading this article. Um, it's all about clickbait. It's nine things that guitarists get wrong about guitars. Okay. The first one, positions two and four on a Stratocaster are out of phase. Duh. It's clickbait. I need to float my Floyd Rose with lots of up and down movement to sound like Eddie Van Halen. Uh, Clearly not. Clearly not. To get a big sound, you need big strings. Yeah, I don't think so. Yeah. The wood has the wood has nothing to do with the sound of an electric guitar. It's just a place to put pickups. Uh, probably very untrue. <laughs> untrue. My guitar is going out of tune. I need new tuners. Uh, doubtful. Doubtful. My strings are buzzing. I need to raise the nut. Maybe. 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 Truss rod adjustments and intonation have to be done by a pro. Well, no, but uh, sometimes they're better at it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Hound Dog Taylor, good example. High output pickups have no dynamics, can only be used for rock and metal. I don't know. I've never really, I've, that's one thing I haven't done a lot of research on is, is, you know, just changing pickups in one guitar and hearing a bunch of different uh, versions. I just don't know how to do the soldering to, to be able to, to know what yeah. the difference is, but I think you probably just depending on your playing style, you could get away with some stuff, but. Well, you know, the thing is, um, my thing is like when you, like people are like, have you ever tried these pickups? I'm like, man, if I like the sound of the guitar, I'm not touching anything. Yeah. If you put, if you, if you, even when you, I've had it where you pull the pickup out, try something new, you don't like it. And then you put the old pickup back in. It doesn't sound the same. Once you once you break the solder, it's just it's just weird. And then finally, bass frets are big. Not really. They're about this. They're exactly the same as internet. <laughs> yes, people are really exciting sometimes. <laughs> exactly. Well, nice nice to finally meet you after all these years. We have a lot of mutual yeah. friends. Yeah, James Santiago. Uh, we've texted once or twice before and talked about maybe getting together, but we have not ever been able to accomplish that fact. You were in Australia once, right? We're gonna do it. Yeah, and um, you know we uh, the, we 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 have these things up here at the at, at, in uh, I call this place Nerdville, but uh, we have these things called Pipe Night, where uh, where where James will come over, George Trips and and, yeah. and the gang, and we 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 basically we we basically smoke cigars and pipes and 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 trade career-ending statements because it's all <laughs> it's all anonymous. Everything is anonymous. I see. Very nice. Well, I'm not a smoker, but uh, the the conversation would probably be very interesting and fun. You're welcome anytime, anytime. So well, I have to do it. Yeah. Thank you very much. Um, one of the things um, I was you know reading about you, like you know, you started guitar very young, and and I I can I can relate to that. Yeah. You know, and you know, one of the one of the things that nobody sometimes nobody asks is do you remember a time in your life when you didn't have the guitar 
when you when you when you were not involved with the guitar playing? Well, yeah, I mean, before I got really interested in pursuing really learning how to play, I was right. into baseball and right. I was playing baseball all the time. But when I knew that I wanted to play guitar, everything else stopped and I would play anywhere from five to 10 hours a day, uh, every day, all the time. So it was just, uh, that was the thing that was exciting, interesting, motivating. And it wasn't really necessarily just because it was about the guitar. It was about sound. It was about the feel and like what, what you could do, the, having an idea in your head and then actually making it come out so somebody else could hear it is a fascinating concept to me. Yeah. It, it, absolutely because you know i mean every guitarist every musician every songwriter i mean like we all start you, you all start with nothing silence yeah. you start with silence and and then it all kind of comes out at you and 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 and, and you're like you know people actually like this you know and it's like oh wow thanks you know that's the benefit if uh if you are able to do something that other people like but the example of my dad's music, uh, it's for some an acquired taste. But growing up, that was the only music I ever heard. I didn't hear the radio until I was uh, maybe, I don't know, 10, 11, 12. Right. So I only heard what my dad was working on of his own music or what he might have been listening to from his record collection. Right. So the music that I heard was very different than what I ended up hearing on the radio. Cause by the time I heard the radio, I thought to myself, where's the rest of it? Where are all the other instruments? Where's right. all the, right. the weird stuff, you know? So the, when something was super simple, it made no sense to me. You know, I, I grew to love the simplicity of it, but I was so used to the complexity and sophistication of, of the different things within my dad's music and the arrangements and his playing style. Like when you, um, you know, when, when you, when you play your father's music, how, how, I mean, like, well, you grew up listening to it and obviously you, you grew up with him making it. How difficult is it to kind of dissect it and, and really hear it, all the parts because it's incredibly complex, you know, yeah. and, and, and do you, do you, do you have kind of like a, you know, do you have kind of a, like a, a roadmap on how you like, okay, let's, let's play this, the, the, how it was originally played. And then, I mean, obviously do you have the multi-tracks or something like well, that? Well, So there's lots of elements to that question. The, the thing about my dad's music is I would say it's much more akin to classical music. So right. most of what he did was notated and it okay. was written down. And so that gives the specific instructions on how it's supposed to be played. Right. Now, timbrally or texturally, the instruments that you use to, to bring that together can change. And he would do that. An album version of a song would be very different than a live version of a song because he might have totally different musicians, different right. instrumentation, all that stuff. So when I choose to play certain songs, I will choose a specific version, a version that uh, maybe he never even played. So a lot of times he wouldn't try to recreate the sound of the album version. And yeah. that's one of the things that I have done over the years is, is actually try to recreate the sound of albums. And one of the last things that I did before COVID stopped all touring everywhere, we were right. playing the Hot Rats album right. and trying to recreate that album note for note for the most part. And 
timbrely, texturally. Uh, so that's a real big challenge. But how we go about it is we find the notated stuff. Everybody in the band can read music except me. Right. So I'll learn everything by ear. Right. Uh, and when it comes to the guitar sounds, it's a total laboratory for me. I want to be able to get as close as I can to the sounds that he would have used and also then play in context to the music in a way that he might have played, but still allow myself to improvise. Right. And that's the real thing that over the past 15 years really evolved, like all those processes, how to make that work and give it life, but also do what he did with it, which was make it different every time you play it. Right. I mean, I mean, how do you start? I mean, like as a as a guitar geek, how do you even begin to start to recreate like like song to song? The sounds right. radically change. Um, how do you even begin to like start re recreating those tones? I mean, obviously, your dad played an SG. I, I, yeah, you know. a lot. A, a lot of times an SG, but he also had highly modified other guitars from Les Pauls and Stratocasters and stuff right. like that. So one of the things he did also was that in a show, almost the entire show is segued together. So songs flow into each other. Right. And you rarely have a song that has an intro and an outro and an ending. Right. So when you want to be able to recreate songs from different eras and you have to go song to song and play them together, right. you have to have a guitar that can work with all those different textures and sounds. And you have to have a guitar system that allows you to make presets and things. So that becomes the real struggle is how do you get as close to you as you want to get, but stay on just an SG when you know something was played on a Stratocaster? Do you right. say, do I try to alter the guitar to give me some of those tones or do you just stay in the SG range? So sometimes I have a little bit of both. Right. You know, but ultimately what I ended up doing with the guitar sounds, I studied enough of what he was doing while he was doing it to, to remember, oh, he used this to make this sound. And I knew and from talking to him about what he was going for with different sounds, right. the, the sort of ingredients, the recipe for, for bringing these things together. And right. there's different ways to do it without using the exact gear you can get there with different products, EQs, compression, distortion, whatever. So there's, there's a lot of ways to skin the cat here, but I, it, I ended up finding the most convenient way to keep it all in one place and, and have as much flexibility was to use the fractal axe effects because yeah. I could make presets. I could uh, blend multiple sounds, have the same kind of stuff that he was doing because his rig, at one time, like my favorite sounds that he had were in the middle 70s to the early 80s. And he had a rig that had four amplifiers and two DIs. Right. So he was splitting his sound and doing stuff and making combinations. And what he really liked to do was have the ability to have the DI part be blended with the amplifier stuff because he wanted the, the immediate attack. And he liked the, the sound of different things in different right. speakers. So right. if he did a stereo sound, he wasn't taking one sound and having it be identical on the other side. He right. wanted very different stuff, the note to bloom a different way and kind of breathe, you know? Yeah. Uh, you know, I, I, I find it's like, it's like, like how, how do you even begin to explain to a sound man how to mix that? 
you know what i mean it's like it's like i have two different sounds and like when you like take a live recording and sometimes if they don't use the right amount of this amp or that and it's such a bummer me but but if you get the right mix of it it's so it's like it's it's magic because like one amp will not do everything and that's why you blend the other ones and let's say you want a fuzz tone on one side and you want just regular transients on the other side where you have maybe less gain, but this right. one has more of a compression and sustain, but you the two kind of play off each other. You hit a note and this one dies out, but this one comes up. Right. Know? And yeah. that kind of stuff, it's almost like two guitars playing at the same time. And that's the kind of stuff that's in his sound. But one of the coolest sounds he ever did was this uh, use of a, a thing called a dynaflanger which mm-hmm. is essentially a modulation pedal. It can flange or phase, right. but it can also uh, work based on how hard you hit the note. There's an envelope section of it. So it will knock a note out of tune. So imagine it going sharp, then flat, and then back to pitch, depending on how hard you hit. Right. But one side is stable and the other side goes out of tune. So right. what you get is an actually really cool, realistic double. And it's, right. it feels like it's even out of time with each other in a way that you would, right. you know, it's not just like a normal LFO kind of thing on a chorus or whatever. So that sound to me was always the holy grail. When I when I heard it, when I saw him put it together and I uh, even putting it together with the exact things that he had, I still couldn't get it to do exactly what he did because right. it's still envelope based. It's how hard you hit and all those things. You yeah. Know? Um, do you, I mean, how much of, of, of your father's gear do you, is, is still around? Uh, almost none. I mean, it's, it's gone off, uh, because, uh, the way the family trust, uh, decided to deal with things. Uh, right. so I have one or two of his guitars and right. I happen to know the stuff that he used. So yeah. I can approximate stuff. And there's the Dynaflanger, for example, uh, it's, almost a 50 year old piece of equipment. So they're not necessarily always going to function properly, but knowing how it works, I can use the fractal to actually do a very good recreation of the functionality, but I actually can do more with the fractal than I could with the actual Dynaflanger because you have way more control over the parameters. So just the knowledge of how it works Mm -hmm. gives you so much more than the the piece of gear itself so the same thing can be said of any kind of amplifier if you're in a studio and you know the kind of thing that you want if if you want a certain extra bit of distortion that maybe you heard on a record maybe it's not from the amp maybe it's from the mic pre maybe it's from the tape machine maybe it's from the compressor and it's those things those little two three four five percent that add up to the magic yeah. And that's, that's the thing that all of us that love playing and want that thing that makes you feel good and makes you get that thing. It may not only be from the guitar and the amp. It might be part of the other processing that that captures it for the person to hear it. Yeah. And the room mic and, you know, like a lot of my favorite guitar sounds are, are it's the sound of the room mic because it's like that's what you hear in the room, you know, and it's like, yeah. kind of like reverb on it or, you know, yeah it's to me it's like i mean i don't stick my ear right next to the speaker why no. would i stick the mic there you know what i mean it's like i know it's it's tricky because so many people rely on the time-honored techniques when really 
there there aren't necessarily rules to this. It's like if it sounds good, it's good. You could have a mic in the total wrong position, but yet it makes the perfect sound for what you need at that moment. You know, so I'm not so uh, precious about oh everything has to be you know tape measured and this mic and all uh, whatever. You know, it. Yeah. I'm happy to experiment at any time because that's the fun for me. When you um uh when you go to ch- choose musicians to be in your band. I yeah. mean, obviously, you know, it, it requires a skill set higher than most groups. Um, you know, you can't just do an open odd, you know, it's like uh, open call at third encore, you know, it's like, and then, you well, know, you could, it just you could. depends, you know, uh, yeah. I mean, when I originally put the band together, my goal was to find people that had no affiliation with my dad, no previous uh workings with my dad i wanted to find younger musicians that could just learn to play this stuff and and i wanted people that would have the attitude of okay if you look at an orchestra uh, all the parts of the orchestra come together everybody has a specific role you might have a a, a, your part might be to play one note you just have a quarter note and that's all you're doing but everybody else is doing stuff around you but you still have to play your part right for the stuff to fit. And everybody has to know what their, what their specific role is without trying to say, Oh, Hey, look at me. My dad used to call it, uh, you know, when people tried to get too much attention, they were trying to create body commercials. Right. (laughs) So the, the thing, the challenge is how do you find somebody that just loves music is good at it has the right attitude, can work with other people, can be living in confined spaces and yeah. not become, you know, somebody that you don't want to be spending any time with. And so right. that's the harder part. I actually have found that it's better to hire somebody that has room to grow, to become better if they have the right attitude than finding right. somebody that's really good, but has a bad attitude. Right. I'd rather forego the experience of the really good player with the bad attitude and give somebody else the opportunity to to grow into being the better musician, you know. So that's yeah. what I've done mostly. I've experienced that in in in, in certain ways where, you know, tenured folks that uh, you know, uh, going, well, uh, the hotel is crappy. I'm like, well, there's no four seasons in Davenport, Iowa. Sorry, you know? Yeah. <laughs> if you're lucky, you get a hotel. What do, you, what, do you, what do you want from me? You know, it's like, I'm not going to build, you know. But, you know, it's, it, it, it is, I, I'm, I'm with you. It, you know, it takes a certain baseline um, of, of skill set. But, but the ones who really adopt to the, you know, adapt to the gig and, and, um, and flourish in it, become better players and you could live with them for the the other 22 hours, you know? Exactly. And the people that have the feeling that, Hey, this is, this is a job that you get to excel at and enjoy. You get to be creative. You get to be excited about, as opposed to like, I'm going to work, you know, once they get the, I'm going to work thing, they're out, you know? Yeah. Yeah, You you have to, you know, and, and, and and it takes one bad apple and it kind of poisons the whole, the, you know, those buses yeah. look big, but they're not. They're not yeah. very big. Yeah. Well, my dad famously had a phrase that said, window or aisle, how would you like to return home? Right. <laughs> so window or yeah. So when um 
when you know uh what was your last gig before the pandemic hit were you on tour yeah yeah we were on tour we actually played the very last show in new york state and we played the tarrytown music uh hall theater uh, music hall i don't remember the exact name of the thing but it's in tarrytown new york right and um it was uh a really crazy thing because days before that we, we still had about three weeks left of the tour that we were on. Right. And we were almost heading towards Canada. It was supposed to be like right after Terrytown. We were supposed to be heading into Canada um, or, or, or a day or two after that. But the, the thing that was crazy was you're hearing all these things like, oh, no, nothing's going to cancel. You got to keep, uh, you know, staying out there. And then as the hours would tick by, things were getting drastically changed. It was like all these things. It was like seeing, uh, you know, icebergs uh, collapsing into the ocean and all this stuff. So even the show, the one that we did, they were like, yeah, you're playing the show tonight, but maybe an hour before the show, they're like, yeah, we want to cancel. We're like, well, no, we're here, we're doing it. So uh, it's just that this is the last show, but we're we're all set up we're doing it. people are here we're gonna play for them you know yeah yeah and th- that was my thing it was like it was like we did a, we did milwaukee on a tuesday and then wednesday became a problem i was like well, what's the fucking difference you know i mean like, I'm like we just did this yesterday you know yeah. 24 hours it's like you know the you know i mean and it started to kind of sca- this was march 12th our last show was march 12th and i, I know for ours it was it was right around that you know it was right in like mid-march and i think that was a tuesday i think some some groups went to the to the to the, they got to saturday and then and then had to had to had to cancel but but it, it was it was so so amazing how fast it just stopped it was like yeah. a wall and yeah then like, and the thing gonna- is the thing is there really isn't any guarantee that it wouldn't ever happen again for this industry Right. And the, what people don't realize is if you are employing a bunch of people and you have to spend the money to do all of the advanced stuff, you know, the, the uh, rehearsals, the tour prep, the booking of everything, you don't get the money back when something cancels. Like no. insurance doesn't help you with no. this and they will for sure make sure they don't in the future because yes. you know, they want to be out of the game on that. So right. it's a very, very risky proposition for an artist to be touring when the rug can be pulled right out from under you. I mean, we went from having this like three more weeks to playing the show and then driving from New York to Los Angeles on the bus. Right. And then, yeah. And, and you know, you still have to pay everybody, you know, like what yeah. a lot of people don't realize is that, is that when, if you have a, like, just for example, a month long tour, okay. The yeah. first two and a half weeks, that's that's paying for everything. OK, if, if you know, maybe the first three weeks pays for everything. Yeah. And then the last week you get and then you have to, you know, give 35, 40 percent to the government. And, and 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 if you don't get that last week, that's then there's no money left for anybody. You know what I mean? It's yeah. just it, it, it's like you, you're you're kind of working for the company store until you get to a certain point in the process where then, OK, now, you know. Not, no, it's- and it's it's frustrating because um, there's a, a perception that many people who are musicians 
who go out and play shows and, and stuff and are out there working hard to do it are living the high life and, you know, private right. jets and all this kind of stuff. And maybe there are a, a, a handful of people that are doing that, but there's a lot of people that are working really hard. And as you were explaining, you know, you're, you're covering one week to get from one place to another. You might not make anything cause it's just covering the cost of fuel and all the expenses until you have one show that can help pay and put money in your pocket. So on our tours, we're one bus with 11 people on the bus. We right. tow a trailer and we yeah. get a hotel maybe once a week, if that. And we play eight or nine shows in a row before we even have a day off. Right. And that day off might be a drive to an another city. So right. it's not like it's the most glamorous thing. But yet we're excited to play this music. We want people, if they're coming there to have a good night out because they're spending money to escape whatever else is going on. They want to have this experience. So yeah. it, we don't take it lightly. We don't go out there and be like, Oh, we got to just go do this. Right. At the same time, as you know, it can be a grind in a, in a lot of ways. Uh, so it's better when, when the audience has some more uh, information to know, why they should want to support you directly and have and create this this uh, relationship, you know, and that's what we've done for the last 14 years straight. I've done uh, maybe 60 to 100 shows a year for 14 years before COVID stopped everything. Right. What's the plan going forward? Are you, uh, are, you are you going out? Are you going back out this year? Or are you going to wait till? I'm waiting till uh, maybe summer of 2022. See what's right. happening. Um, and in the meantime, I've been doing some other things to get ready to work on collaborations with other people, doing some more of my own music and putting a studio together that will allow me to do that. It's actually set up for uh, recording and mixing in Atmos. Okay. And, uh, so I'm, I'm doing that, but I, I want to be able to... Um, I've done so much of playing my dad's music, which I love doing, Right. But I want to be able to do some other things that are totally unrelated to that and, and collaborate and do fun things with other people. So I, I've had some time off to be able to finish building this space that will allow me to, to do that kind of stuff. So that I'm looking forward to. But of course, you know, it's hard to be doing that when you're not able to actually be supporting yourself by, you know. Yeah. <laughs> so. and, 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 you know, I mean, it, it being from Los Angeles. I mean, you, you, it's an incredibly expensive place to live, you yeah. know? And, and I mean, would you ever think like anything like that would have happened where, where like the entire music business is, it doesn't matter if you're the Rolling Stones or, or if you're playing Molly Malone's it, it it's gone. It's just stopped. Yeah. You know? There's it, still a desire for people to hear music and they want to experience live music, right. but will it ever come back to what it was without now like this Gestapo kind of thing of like, Oh, let me see your papers. You know, right. I mean, that's a whole terrifying element to all of this. Uh, yeah. That is, is crazy. So. It, it, yeah. it, it is a little bit, not, not to get into the, the, that, that kind of the politics of it, but it, it is a little bit, I, I, I go unheard. Well, trying to find the right word. It's a little bit unheard of to go show me, like I had my vaccination card laminated. I punched a hole in it. 
And when I fly, I wear it like a backstage pass. So if anybody wants to get into it, I just go laminated. And, but it's a very, you know, like the, your medical records are supposed to be private. Yeah. Right. In theory, your medical records are supposed to be private. So when say, Hey, have you been vaccinated? You'd be like, you can turn in, 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 you can turn around and say, Hey, listen, how much money do you make? Can I see your tax returns? Yeah. Yeah, That's personal information. You know what I mean? It's like, it's very, very, it's a slippery slope, you know, cause it's like, and, and it's mostly in, kind of mass gatherings or travel, you know, your, 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 the, the, the buses, the planes, whatever it's in. And, and, and there are certain people in the concert is usually, well, you're not going to be allowed into our show without, if you're not vaccinated, it's like, well, that's gonna, that's, that's gonna, it's yet to be seen how, how dicey that's going to get because it's very personal. Yeah. It's, it's a crazy thing. So uh, I don't know. That's why I'm just kind of waiting to see uh, more of, of, how it all tries to restructure itself because I don't really have the ability to take a risk on ramping up for a tour only to have it have fall apart, you know, cause even yeah. right when, when we got the show canceled in New York or, I mean, right after New York, the rest of the U S tour, we were supposed to go to Australia to do a tour there. And they said, Oh no, nothing's canceling. You, you guys are under contract. You have to come, you have to come. And, you know, you buy the tickets and all that stuff. The day after, oh, we're canceled. But you yeah. don't get the money back for the tickets. No. You don't get, you know, so it's all this stuff that we can't go through that stuff, especially after a year or more of not being able to have income. Yeah, exactly. And, and I mean, it, it, the most expensive part of any touring operation is the beginning and the end. It's, it's, it's making the mess and cleaning it up, you know? And and if and if you if, if if you get out there, I mean, like that that's our nightmare scenario, and that's why we're waiting till the fall of this year to go out for for more, more than five or six shows. And, and and the nightmare scenario is is you get out there again. Well, we we ended up getting seventeen shows in last year, and then it then it we 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 had to cancel thirty five. Um, and luckily, you know, whatever. It, it, but. Um, the nightmare scenario is you get out there and and three shows in and the thing grinds down again and you're like yeah. this is you're cutting a major check at that point you know yeah it's like it, and there's no no insurance policy is going to take that anymore there's no there's no nothing it's just you're on your own yeah and that's what people don't understand that want to come to the shows if they knew a little bit more they would they would definitely have a little bit more empathy and respect for the challenges that, you know, what it's like to actually put something like this together and go and the risks that you take. Uh, I think it's, it's definitely time for uh, musicians to be able to create a direct relationship with their fans uh, so that even in times when they can't be out there and tour, they can find a way to draw attention to whatever they're doing and have a reciprocal relationship, find a way to stay in touch and, and have content that they can make that will keep them connected. Right. Uh, and social media supposedly does that, except for the fact that you're, you're supposed to give away all of your content for free. And then you have no way of reaching the people that supposedly are watching your stuff because right. the social media platforms, they get all the emails and all that stuff. So, 
there really needs to be more of a way for people to, to, for artists to have the ability to reach their fans directly with emails, et cetera. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's also to, it's, it's, and I, I have my own opinions about it. It's like, you know, the pandemic and, you know, the, the, the common question is like, well, how, what are you doing to pivot? Well, I'm not doing anything too drastically different than I, than, than I was before, you know, because it's yet to be seen like the ones that, you know, the musicians who went on, on, on line or Instagram live or whatever. And every day, every day was some sort of live stream. You know, they're, they got the band together in the backyard. They got the whatever, you know, and it's cool. You know, people enjoy it. It's an escape. It's, it's, I, I don't know if people are going to buy a ticket, you know? Well, one of the other challenges with that is that if you're doing something and the production value is low, right. It's, it's be it's beneath what you would normally be seen doing live. Right. Then that doesn't help the artist either. You know, it's, it, but there are some artists that can totally excel at it because if you're the kind of artist that can sit with an acoustic guitar and just sing a song, right. you can do great stuff. But yeah. if you're a band that needs to have real cool sound reinforcement and a proper mix and all that stuff, and you yeah. just do something that sounds worse than what you would do if you had a better opportunity, Right. It's not so good. You know, so it, that's the, the struggle. And, and what I've uh, tried to put together in this downtime is, is a, a place for myself to eventually be able to have the best of both worlds, have a good place that will sound good where you can have the right. music recorded and mixed well before you send out a broadcast of it. Yeah. But also have it be a creative and fun environment, good looking space so that it feels good for everybody involved, the people playing, the people that are watching. So it's been kind of a crazy um, time. I've played almost no guitar at all. I don't know about you, you probably played a lot, but I've played, lot, yeah. I've played maybe uh, a handful of hours over the year, you know, right. just barely playing because I worked on trying to get the studio together and then also a platform that would allow me to to have the ability to stream things and yeah. and create a community in one location. So I built this platform that's called Reward Music. Right. And I put my own site on there. Other artists are are using the platform. But the whole goal of it is to make it so it's all for artists to have the advantage of putting all your stuff in one place and being able to own and control your content, but also have a direct relationship with your um, your group of fans and, and yeah. you know your guests, however you would choose to to call them. You know. Yeah, I mean, it's I mean, it's the music business is really pivoted to a. a I mean, it, the, every artist is basically responsible for setting up a direct marketing company. I mean, you go yeah. find the fans. It's not like it was before. I, I remember, like you know, in like the trades. Um, R and R and you know and all those uh, those like yeah. 80s 90s trade magazines. You used to know like like how how much the the label valued you by how big your ad was, you know. So when my record came out on Sony, this is 20 some odd years ago. I had like a little quarter page in a corner. I, I knew it was over before it even started, just on based on the size of the ad, you know. And there was nothing I could do about it because they had all the, uh, the 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 marketing machine and everything was based on 
that traditional pathway of, you know, got to get radio to buy it. You got to get, you know, all this, all these different factors had to come up now, like with your platform, what you're talking about, put it out there. Yeah. It's quality. People will buy it, you know? Yeah. And then if you have the ability to have them come to you directly, as opposed to all these other places, because at the, at the end of the day, uh, what people don't necessarily realize is, yeah, it's great to be able to have access to tons of music and have this monthly thing that you will pay right. to either Apple or Spotify, but that doesn't actually support the artists who are making it. So if you look at it like this, if you were going to start a car rental company, you'd have to buy a bunch of cars before you could rent them. Right. But Spotify and Apple do not buy the songs or the music from the artists before no. they exploit it and get money for their ability to go ahead and monetize a membership or a subscription. Yeah. So, and then all of that stuff, it's, it's like given back to the artist in nano pennies. Yep. And it's just, it's crazy that it works that way. So, I mean, they recently, there was a thing where they, they said, um, I guess there were some figures from Spotify that showed that only 40,000 artists were able to make minimum wage on Spotify. Yeah. Out of the millions of songs and millions yeah. of artists that are on there. Yeah. So it's really hard to, to look at that as uh, being the best way for artists to continue with their craft. It's like, if you're making music, it costs you money to make it and right. you put it out there and somebody else gets to monetize it in a different way than it was originally even right. written. It's, I mean, it's tough. And then, then you take away an artist's ability to tour. What are you yeah. leaving them with? Nothing. Yeah. It, yeah. You, you basically, well, you know, the haves always have, and the have nots have always been, they always tell them to go fuck themselves. I mean, it, it really is it, unless you make your own world. You know, and and, you know, the haves always have the like Beyonce's you don't have to worry about her. OK, she, yeah. she's fine. She, she, the lights are paid for, you know, yeah. it, it, you know, and, and, and the, the you know, her taxes are in, in, in check. But, you know, it, it's it's the ones that are kind of in brackish waters where you're you're, you know, have a have a name, can tour, can can whatever. And everybody thinks, oh, my God, it's like you're 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 you're, you're as rich as Beyonce. You're not, you know. And if you start if you start, you know, um, marginalizing creativity, you know, even a bare bones record with real players done the right way is still going to cost you thirty thousand bucks. OK, but to get thirty thousand dollars out of Spotify, it would take years to monetize that. And that's if it was him. Yeah. I mean, yeah. It, fractional pennies does not add up as fast as people think. Well, it takes 3.8 million streams for someone to make minimum wage on right. Spotify. Right. So I wouldn't do that even in 10 years on my own music. Yeah. And, and, and some bands are not stream of, you know, like they're not stream friendly. It's like, it's like there you'll get 2000 people at a show and, but their streams are low. And then subsequently, you can get somebody who can't draw 500 people, but they they have eight million streams of a song, you know. Mm -hmm. And so it really is touring really has been a, 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 a lifeline for for a lot of us, because it, it it really is the direct connection between you and your audience. And, you know, better than anyone that even with the touring Every venue takes a cut. You're like it, the cost of everything, a bus or multiple buses and trucks and all that stuff. You, yeah. you, you're talking thousands of dollars a day. And then by the time you get 
to the venue and you're selling a t-shirt or a CD, the venue, just because you're there and right. you have it there, they go, oh yeah, we get to take at least 30%. Right. So, uh, you know, the, everybody's always got the hand in the pocket of, of the artists yeah. and it's, if their artists are used to it, but they're still not able to see the big picture enough to say, wait, I have to try to do some things where I have the ability to have a direct relationship with the fans. Because if, if everybody's still taking stuff and now you can't tour and you can't do that stuff. What's left? Yeah. Yeah. Why we, you know, I, I went through that. I mean, like, I was like, why we, why am I even doing this anymore? I mean, it's, it's going <laughs> to be given away, you know, I mean, I, like some some venues, like in the major markets, still like, like like the we like we there's certain items in our merch that we won't sell because they're higher ticket items yeah. and they want like thirty five or forty percent. And I'm like, well, well, okay, I I, I want I want thirty five percent of the beer, I want thirty five percent of the hot dog, you know, right. where's you know where's my cut of the mustard, you know? But they're not doing that. I think I think the only the only artist I ever heard do that was Tony Bennett. I think Tony Bennett was he had he had enough pull where he he. If, if they were taking a percentage of his merch, he would get a percentage of the bar. I'm like, well, good on you, Tony. You know, that's some old school shit. Yeah. You know? Well, that I mean, if, if he could do that, then that, that's pretty damn good. But uh, yeah, no kidding. No kidding. Talk to me, um, uh, you know, about uh, the late uh, Eddie Van Halen. And and, sure. and, and, and and, you know, because I know he, he when you were 12, I read that um, he produced like, one of the first recordings you ever you ever did. Yeah, like, you know, like, yeah. so talk about starting off, you know, nowhere to go but down, you know. Yeah, well, here's here's the thing, like, and I know that you can relate to this because uh, when did you start playing? How old were you when you were I was like, four? Four. I was okay, four. so so uh, by the by the time you were ten or twelve, mm -hmm. you were probably able to play along with a lot of records and and stuff like that. And and I, you know, by the time I was twelve, I had, I had I had just entered this hideous fucking business called music. Yeah, so I'm. <laughs> So 32 so, years. So now put yourself in a position, uh, who, whoever your most favorite guitar player was at that time. Right. And now imagine that that person calls your house to talk to your dad just out of the right. blue. Right. So that's what happened. I, I had started playing guitar. I'd only been playing about six months, maybe, maybe maximum nine months. I don't remember wow. exactly, but out of nowhere, a call comes in and it's Edward Van Halen on the phone. Right. Or it's a guy saying it's Edward Van Halen. At that, yeah, right. that point, you know, we didn't know this is way before MTV or the internet or anything. So you only had pictures of people on album covers and liner yeah. notes and all that stuff. And maybe you heard their voice on the radio. So we had no way of knowing uh, yes. if this guy was really Eddie Van Halen. But my dad gets on the phone with him and then turns out he lives really close to where, you know, my dad's house was. Right. And 20 minutes later, he's at the house. Right. Now, I had been listening pretty much exclusively to Van Halen or Ozzy Osbourne with Randy Rhodes. I was really into the rock guitar of the time. Right. This would have been 81, 82, right, right around uh, there. And so for me, this was the craziest thing ever that this person that, whose music was making such a big influence on me outside of my dad's music, which also yeah. made an impact was now at the house. So yeah. 
he walks up the stairs and I've told this story before where it was like he was backlit with a smoke machine, like a superhero. He's got right. uh, women and children first um, jumpsuit, like the fighter pilot yeah. jumpsuit thing. He's got the necklace that has the Van Halen logo. Right. And he's got this um, purple guitar, not in a case. It's got two humbuckers. It's got a piece of tape over the headstock so no, no one can know what it is. Right. And he walks in. And within seconds of him walking in and shaking hands and stuff, it was, I, I was able to say, play Eruption, play Mean Street. Right. Now, this, as you know, when you see a guitar player do something and you have like tried to figure it out, but you didn't really know where it was, when you see them do it, right. it's burned into your brain. You're not going to forget that. You're not going to ever unsee the position where he was playing on the guitar and these things. So for me, that's what happened when he walked in. He was able to uh, plug in and start playing some things. Now you're frozen on my screen right now, so I don't yeah, know. It, it, it just came back. There you go. Okay. We're back. So, um, so he's, playing, he's playing a couple of things, and my dad at the time had a guitar player in his band that was my guitar teacher, uh, he said, Oh, I'm going to have uh, Steve give you a couple of lessons. That happened to be Steve Vi. Yeah, right. So, so Eddie Van Halen's at the house with my dad. My dad calls Steve Vi. Steve comes up. The four of us are sitting in a circle and this purple guitar gets passed around and we all play a little bit on this guitar and we're talking right. about music and we're talking about whatever happens to be uh, entertaining at the moment. Right. So I'm 12 years old and it's about, I don't know, uh, it was at least midnight at that point. I remember right. Ed leaving around two in the morning and I had a baseball game the next day. And yeah. I was, I was totally, totally prepared to never play baseball again because right. I had just experienced the coolest thing having to do with guitar of all time. Oh, all the right. different perspectives of guitar but you know, Ed playing this guitar, which later we found out was a Kramer guitar. Right. And it was this, you know, uh, new company he was endorsing. But that was my big introduction to seeing how it was done, hearing that it's in the hands, because yeah. it doesn't matter what he's playing through, he sounds like Eddie Van Halen. Yeah. Yes. To a very large degree, most guitar players are that way. Although there are some that can be very chameleon-like and just play right. and sound differently. Um, but yeah, that was that was a crazy thing. So I actually don't know how it came to be that he was asked to produce the first thing that I recorded, which was called My Mother is a Space Cadet. Right. Now, this is the funny thing, though, because it was me and my 12-year-old friends who were we could barely play and we had a right. couple of songs and my dad said, Hey, do you want to record some songs? I said, great. Let's, you know, this would be super fun. And then he said, Oh, and Eddie Van Halen's going to come help you, you know? And Don Landy who recorded all the early Van Halen records yeah. came to engineer the thing. <laughs> and so it's right. Edward Van Halen, Don Landy, and then me and my 12 year old friends making this stuff. Uh, right. So, uh, it, it was just the, the craziest, coolest introduction to, and I didn't know anything about recording. So I had to learn how to do punch ins. Ed showed me yeah. how to play along beforehand and then punch in. And right. so it was, it was the coolest thing ever. It's cool. I mean, and, and, you know, the thing about watching like the greats like him and, 
it, it's the economy of movement. You know, yeah. it's that like it's not these big stretches, you know, like Steve I. I mean, and if you watch him play, you're like, okay, it's they make it look easy. And, and it's really not because you know, when they hand you the guitar, you're like, oh, I can do that. You're like, no, you can't, you know. Yeah. It's just it's just the fluidity and and what they figured out, you know. That's the thing I love about the guitar. And I still love about the guitar is the fact that it's it it's it's the same 22 frets or 21 frets, or 24, how many frets you have is, but everybody approaches it differently, you know, and, and there's not, there's not one guitar player that does it the same as the next. And, and it all say it's the same notes, it's the same fretboard, but it all comes out in a different way. It is because everybody starts from nothing as we were talking right. about before, like you, everybody starts at ground zero and yeah. then it becomes whatever you make it. Right. right. So we all get our fair share of influences. We want to learn how to do what they do to some degree. Some people want to go really down the rabbit hole and perfect being able to sound exactly like a certain player. And yeah. for me, that was important. If I wanted to learn a song, I wanted to learn to play it and sound like the person playing it. I didn't want to just be like, I'm playing the overview. I'm yeah. saying I want to play. If I want to learn eruption, I want to try to learn it note for note and okay. play it with the sound that he played it because to me that's playing the song. Yeah. And that was my approach when I was 12 years old. And it was a lifetime of trying to figure out how to incorporate all those things, get closer to the sound, get closer to the phrasing, get closer to all of it. Right. And, and at a certain point, the, the good thing about it is you develop this um, vocabulary to be able to, to play stylistically like the person that you're trying to learn from. But at a certain point you realize it's not important to actually be able to do exactly what they did. It's, that's a great tool to get you to realize that you need to figure out your own way of doing it and your own voice. And, and that's the thing that's interesting because some people find it much, much earlier than others. You look at a guy like Derek Trucks who has an incredible style, but he had it from the very beginning. Right. And, and he's deepened his vocabulary and the Indian influences and all these things. Right. But, but he has had that from the very beginning. Whereas me, as an example, I've learned to play a lot of different things, a lot of different styles, play things that other people can play or learn hard things that my dad did or things in his music. But it wasn't until I was doing a lot of that in a live situation that my own vocabulary grew so that I could improvise as myself. But right. I can also still say, if I want to play in context and play like my dad, I can play in a way using his guitar words. Right. But I could I could structure the sentences, you know, yeah. so that's been the, the, the real thing. For me, I think it took me a really long time to find a place where I felt like I was doing something that was really just in my own world of stuff. And right. uh, but I've been playing guitar for, you know, 40 some odd years. Yeah. So yeah. Uh, it, it, that whereas other people find it like Eddie Van Halen within the first five years of his playing. Yeah. You know? They just they yeah, they laser focus in on something or it's just in them. It's just the way it. It, it's just the way you know it works i mean like it, it took uh you know i mean to me it's like it, it took even even like bb king a few like a few 
maybe 10 years before it sounded like bb king you know what yeah. i mean it was it was it was he was kind of like in between you know, uh, t-bone walker and and you know some other things but then by night like 62 or 63 it's like okay that's bbk you know i mean the voice yeah, yeah. everything it just connects and then and, and then it for the rest of the career um you know one of the things i, I want to ask you just um briefly tell me what los angeles the actual city and the music that's come out of los angeles in particular like laurel canyon and you know i i, I know i think my house is pretty close to where your father had a place down yeah. on the street. And um, what was it about Los Angeles that made the sound of, I mean, from everything from Frank Zappa to the Beach Boys, so so incredibly unique and, and life-changing? I'm not exactly sure what drew the people to Los Angeles or what function Los Angeles had in the, the overall sound of some of the most popular music that we grew up listening to. Like, for example, my dad, um, the music that he was drawn towards as a child, he went to the library at, at 11 years old to teach himself how to become a classical composer. And right. he liked the music of Edgar Varese and Stravinsky and all these people like there's a there's a picture of uh, Edgar Varese on one of his album covers and his hair almost looks like Eraserhead. You remember that that David yeah, Lynch yeah. Eraserhead? Yeah. So when my dad saw that, he he thought, who let the mad scientist make a record? Yeah, you right. Know? And he loved that. So, but he was on his own path of always doing what he wanted to do. But by the time he actually got to Los Angeles, you know, he he was born in Maryland and he moved to Florida and he moved out to the uh, Lancaster desert in California. Right. And um, he was down in the San Diego area. But by the time he got to Los Angeles, he was living in the Hollywood Hills area. There was a log cabin that was famously there for a while. It burned down years ago. Now it's like a Christmas tree lot, which uh, right. you know, uh, right. maybe they've built something there at this point. I haven't been there in a while, but. Uh, it was across the street from the Houdini mansion. Right. Um, I, I, you're, you're pretty close to Nerdville at that point. Yeah. Uh, so it, 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 it's still there. And yeah. it's a, there's a moat. And I don't know who owns it now, but it's, it, it, there's, it's, there's a wall around it. And yeah. it's, it's a pretty it, eclectic place. It used to be, as far as I know, it was, uh, it was owned by a cowboy actor, Tom Mix. Mm -hmm. uh, and it had uh, like a bowling alley or something, or the the run next to it had a bowling alley. That's the one that Rick yeah. uh, uh, Rubin, yeah, Rick Rubin owns. But anyway, so uh, the thing was, there was a lot of things happening with all these different types of people, and it was the wild west of music all over the world at that point. You know, the the search for a sound, right. not necessarily a song. But a sound like it was it was more exciting and acceptable at that time to go into the studio and try things, experiment, you know, rip a speaker and make it distort and do things to have a sound that somebody else wouldn't have on their record. We right. live in a time now where everybody uses the same everything to make every record. It's right. connected. It's the same software. It's the same everything, you know, so. Uh, I think that that period of time that you're talking about where you've got music by my dad or the Beach Boys or the Doors or all these other bands that became popular for somewhat of an L.A. type of sound. Yeah, they didn't sound much alike, but they all sounded like 
let's make a sound of, of, of right. our own. And I think that was more just the, the nature of the times and the people that were in charge of making records weren't accountants at that point. It was more like yes. cigar chomping guys are like, I don't know, let's do it, you know? Right, yeah, exactly. And so you had this kind of excitement of, of, of the Wild West of just trying to make something sound different. And yeah. I think it really was obviously the time that most of us enjoy that, that music that lives in eternity for being original and having such a cool character of sound. Right. Um, but yeah, I mean, California, the lifestyle, the weather, all that stuff, maybe that, that helped put people in a creative headspace, but I don't know that it was anything so specifically just LA or California that, that was um, the, the catalyst. Exactly. You know, and it, you know, it's just, they, they, they talk about the Laurel Canyon sound or they, you know, it's like, yeah. uh, you know, I mean, I've been here for a while. Ain't, this house ain't writing those songs for me. You know, <laughs> yeah. I don't sound like Crosby, Stills and Nash, you know? Yeah. <laughs> but no. uh, So before we wrap up, um, did you ever, I'd like, and, and, and uh, forgive me if I don't know this. Um, did you ever finish the, what the hell was I thinking? No, and, and the, you, is, is it still I'm, a work in progress, or it is. it's still it? a work in progress, and you need to play on it. I, I'd be honored. I'd yeah. be honored. How yeah. many guitar players are you up to on this? Now? Uh, there's about 50 guitar players on it, and the thing is, um, here's the part that's really crazy is that I, in, in trying to put the studio together, I had a little small space about five years ago, and mm. the last time I was working on the record was about five years ago. But those, that computer hadn't been turned on for five years. And the other day I went to turn it on and it didn't turn on. Oh. So a lot of the stuff that's on that, you know, uh, I mean, the, the, the whole computer version of that record right. is on that computer, which I now need to find a way to get it off of that computer. So far, I have not been successful. Right. Uh, I'm not panicking yet because I have versions of the original recordings. It started on analog tape, then it went to digital, then it went to D88 tape, and then it went to computer. So right. I have a, a way to backtrack and then do some transfers. But I'd like to have what I had on the computer already. Yeah, you'd like to start where you left off. Yeah, well, that would help. You know, it would be easier. But But the whole thing for me now is that... I really want to be able to create this as a, a real audio movie and I want to uh, mix it in surround sound and have, you know, like Atmos, the whole thing. Yeah, yeah. So that it's because what it is, it's guitar, bass and drums and it's guitars doing things of every possible conceivable thing right. but without without being um, using synthesizers. It's always an electric or an acoustic guitar, but the, you, the, the overall thing is you can use any amount of EQ or distortion or whatever, but it still has to be played as an electric guitar or an acoustic guitar. And everything changes from moment to moment, audio soundscapes, style of music. Right. So the original goal was to make it, uh, if it was going to fit on a CD, you could only fit 75 minutes. Right. Uh, so I had a 75 piece, 75 minute piece of music that was constantly morphing and changing the, right. the soundscape and everything. So, but there's all these players on it. Edward Van Halen, Angus and Malcolm Young, 
Steve Vai, Steve Morris, uh, you know, I mean, Eric Johnson, Brian May, yeah. all, all kinds of different people. But I want to get um, players of today on there as well. And there's still right. other players that I want to record. I would love to have Jeff Beck, love yeah. to have Pete Townsend, love to have a, a lot of different players. My goal was to be able to have just uh, 30 seconds with everybody that's ever influenced me. Right. You know, I mean, that's, it's, it's great. I mean, and like, how do you know when it's finished though? I mean, like, you like, it's like, well, when do you go? That's it. We're done. Mix it. At, well, at a certain point, that'll be possible. I just, you know, it's, I haven't been able to work on it for the last couple of, uh, I mean, probably over a decade really, because right. I was touring so much. Right. So when I have a chance to like look at it in a linear way and mm. say, all right, who else do I want to record? What kind of style of music do I want to put in here? What right. do I, I'll be able to make that assessment. Uh, but I've never been in a place where I've had a creative uh, space, a sound laboratory that would allow me to do what I want to do until now. Right. So the space that I'm almost finished with uh, is, it's going to allow me to, to take that time to do that. And it's, uh, it's going to be exciting because it really, there's, there's nothing like this. What's cool is it's imagine if you watched a movie and in the movie, all the most famous actors you've ever seen are all in the same scene, but they're not necessarily trying to get your attention all at once. So right. you might see like a table uh, with Sylvester Stallone and Arnold Schwarzenegger and Jack Nicholson uh, uh, all sitting there eating something while somebody else is in the foreground saying, right. Hey, you know, over yeah. here, you've got uh, whoever it is. Right. So what happens is the music goes by and suddenly a, a guitar player that you recognize comes forward and is in this speaker. Right. Music changes. And now a new person comes over here and sometimes people play off each other, but the goal was to make them play on stuff that was either totally within their wheelhouse or totally outside of anything they've ever done ever. Yes. So that was what was really fun because when I worked with Brian May, there was a section that was in five and he heard it and he's like, Oh no. I don't like playing in five, you know, he was, right. he was like struggling to, to wrap his head around how he wanted to play on this section. It yeah. ended up being really cool, yeah. but it wasn't, it wasn't right in his wheelhouse. Whereas yeah. the Van Halen stuff, he has two solos on there. And one of them is hilarious because it was, the goal was let me have him do a greatest hits solo, like all of his best licks yeah. in one solo. And we sat there and we, we talked about which licks. And sometimes he would say, I don't remember that one. And I would have to show it to him. He's like, why don't you just play it? You fucking sound just like me anyway. Right, right. So, you know, it was like yeah. this kind of funny thing happening. But it was the exact opposite of when I did My Mother's a Space Cadet. I sat at the tape machine and punched him in while he was playing versus, right. you know, so it was that total like Jedi, you know, role reversal. Yeah. Thing. It was it was a really cool experience that's great i well, i well i would be honored to be on it and i'm i'm, I'm glad to see it's still in progress yeah. you know you didn't just yeah it's gonna be it's gonna be finished at some point and you definitely should play on it but if you want to you should also uh, come on my running with the dweezil podcast and, and tell me some van halen stories um i'm i have i 
I'm, I'm in. You got me. You, you had me in hello. Hand me in hello. Uh-huh. Dweezil Zappa, ladies and gentlemen. This has been live from Nerdville. Thank you for being here. Thank you. Well, let's stay in touch and we'll do some fun stuff. <laughs>